So this past week, many of you know that I was at VidCon. And if you don't know what VidCon is, uh, think about it as a convention, a conference for people that are content creators and all the marketing and advertising and all those executives come together. And this year, I think it's always in Anaheim, but this year it was in Anaheim. And it's kind of like Comic-Con, but for content creators on every social media platform you can think of. And it was my first time going and it was an interesting and very educational event. I'm still recovering from everything I learned and all the people I met and all the things that, yeah, I, I kind of was just infused with so much. And the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant here is because I, I want to talk about um, a few different things today hopefully getting to the point that I want to make. But, you know, one of the things that happened on Friday when we were at VidCon was we had a panel from MSNBC who was there. And I already talked about this on TikTok a little bit, but um, Rashida Jones, president of MSNBC was there and uh, Chris Hayes was there. Jacob so Sobroff was there. Um Mehdi Hassan was there and Simone Sanders was also there. And this is one of the first panels up on Friday at the main stage at VidCon. I was excited, you know, because I wanted to listen to what they were talking about. I was really intrigued because I learned so much, but they were there to talk about digital media and streaming services and how MSNBC is kind of, um, you know, taking on this new world, basically, and how they're integrating their news and their network to do you know, broadcasting and blah, blah, blah. However, because the news of the Supreme Court came out on Friday morning about Roe v. Wade and uh, basically overturning Roe v. Wade, it put a, such a weird damper on the whole event because they actually had to talk about that, right? They, they're a news <laughs> organization, but it was also kind of just a layering over the entire event, at least for me and the people that I was around. And uh, it was heavy and interesting. And it was even more remarkable to watch them integrate not only the news that they had to report live and on stage in front of a live audience, but also then watch them work into how they uh, had to talk about the subject they needed to talk about. And that's kind of what I want to speak on today. First of all, the brilliance in watching that happen live, but also kind of normalizing the idea that it is hard to be a creator and to create content or to write or to be a painter or a sculptor, to do anything that is creative when you are so burdened with such heavy information. The other thing that happened this weekend was a content creator on TikTok known by the name of Mama Tot, right? That's what we all call her because she calls everyone her tater tots. So we call her Mama Tot. Um, her handle is actually Shoe Lover 99 And she has like more than 7 million followers at this point, but she is this amazing person of just kindness and joy and just the kind of people I love to be around, right? And I've never met her, but I follow her and you just know 
there are certain people on the planet who just give you such joy. Well, you know, this weekend we found out, unfortunately, sadly, her son was murdered this weekend and it destroyed her. So you have the layering of a Friday and then you hear about this amazing human being. Look, at, I'm not saying anyone should ever have this happen to them, but if you have never watched Mama Tot, if you don't know who she is, if you haven't listened to her, I can't put this in perspective. You know what I mean? I, there's, she is just all about joy and positivity and love and kindness. And then this video, you watch this TikTok and you can't help but tear because she is in such enormous pain as any of these parents who have lost children to gun violence are. My point is, is it put another layer of just horribleness on an already bad weekend. And you realize like, I, I can't start writing some beautiful script about blah, 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 or I can't go on and create something fantastic and funny and lively. And how do people do that? How do people work in that kind of environment when you're just so miserable? Anybody who knows me knows that I love George Michael. I mean, Prince is one of my favorite as well. And so isn't Freddie Mercury when it comes to music, right? Queen. Um, but I have always had a very special place in my heart um, with George Michael. I love him. I've always loved him. He was the first concert I went to. He is just someone I've always loved and admired. And I loved and admired him even more because so many people didn't when he was alive, especially here in the United States, because we've always had some weird issues with anybody who was gay or, you know, we have, so anyways, you, you, you get my meaning. But one of the things that I remember listening to George Michael about that made me love him was in some interview and, and, and I can't remember off the top of, my head, which one it was, but he talked about how in order to create, in order for him to be able to sit down and write music or write a song or really be in a great place of creativity, everything in his life had to be okay. Now that tends to be the polar opposite of what most artists say, right? A lot of artists say that they need to be tortured and sad and, or, or like their best work was done when they were, you know, miserable or whatever. And I'm not saying all artists say that, but that tends to be what you hear, right? That's the storyline. And I've always loved this about George Michael, this idea, because I'm the same way. Everything has to be okay in my life, at least in some way measured and content in order for me to feel comfortable about creating. And he was the first person I heard ever say that. And I think that was one of the reasons why I gravitated towards him um, as a teenager. But I also just thought he was fine and beautiful. And I just loved him and I love his music. But it was that artistic creativity where I connected with him. So I'm bringing this all back to say, like, we've gotten into a space, I think, in our lives where it's not okay not to always be producing, right? We are 24-7 on social media. And if we're not on social media, we're in a Zoom call or we're talking to somebody or we're, we're creating something. Like, it's never okay to just say like, oh, yeah, I just sat on my couch and kind of vegged and watched TV today. Like, somehow saying that is bad. 
Or, yeah, I just went to the beach today and I just sat and, you know, watched the waves for a few hours, right? We're always doing something. We're always meeting somebody. We're always talking to somebody. We're always doing, 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 producing, producing, producing. And I couldn't this weekend at all. I I was a little thrown by what happened on Friday with the Supreme Court. Um, even though I knew it was coming, it still made me miserable to to think that we're still dealing with the same issues that my parents' generation was dealing with. We still haven't resolved so many things as a country. And I keep thinking about how sad I am for our country because we're so divided and we're so a mess. And we've always thought here in the United States that we were the greatest country in the world. And clearly we're not. We're not. I'm sorry for those listeners that don't agree with me, but we are not. And what I realize it's that it's not that we're just not right now. We've never been because we've been lying about our history. We've been told lies about who we are. We really have not come to terms with some of the most basic things like healthcare and um, livable wages and equality, you know, not to mention issues regarding, um, you know, some of these more sensitive uh, topics. That depressed me. That made me so miserable and sad. And yet I had to get up on Saturday morning and figure out a way to write because I had to write for somebody. And then and then I heard about Mama Tot and I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't. And I need to be okay with the fact that I can't do it. And the minute I admitted to myself that I could not write this piece and I knew that I would lose money because I wasn't going to write this piece, I sent them an email and I just said, you know what? I can't do this this weekend. It's not going to be ready till next week. And I know you might have to hire somebody else, but I can't do it. The weight off my shoulders was incredible. I was still grieving and sad about everything else I was thinking about, right? That had kind of permeated into my heart. But I felt so much better because I allowed myself not to have to deal with doing that creative thing that I could not produce. And I lost the job, of course, and I lost the money and I probably lost the client. But I am grateful to be in a position where I didn't have to do that job. And I am grateful to be in a position where. I couldn't have done the job. So here's the thing. It would have been a bad produced piece of work anyways, because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, you know? And um, I mean, they've reached out to me and said, I can do it next week or whatever. But my point is, is and, and I haven't lost a client. I'm exaggerating there, but I could have. I knew that that was part of the consequences, you know? So I don't know. A part of me wants to talk about something I already wrote about in my blog post on Monday, which is normalizing and feeling okay about not being able to be productive and creative. Like sometimes you just can't produce. And how do you deal with that in, in, in a work environment, you know, with a team? How do you deal with that? Do you honestly tell people that you, you're not up for it today and risk being uh, having people mad at you or having, you know, losing your job or whatever it may be? Or could we ever get to a place where I could totally turn around and say to my boss, say, you know what, I'm 
I'm just in a bad space today. I, I don't think I can do this today. So anyway, we can get somebody else to jump in. It's an interesting question. I don't have all the answers. I know in the past what I've done when people have reached out to me to say that they weren't able to write or they weren't able to, you know, get their lines down for an acting gig or something like that. You know, you come up with all of these different ways in which to kind of rejuvenate yourself and find a way to produce anyways, right? Here's the thing. At the end of the day, if you're working on a film and you need to be able to walk into a scene and be a scene partner to somebody else, or even if you're doing your own monologue or whatever, you need to be on, right? There are certain times you cannot turn around and just be like, you know what? I can't produce today unless you're some A-list celebrity, but even still, they would never do that, right? If they're on budget, for a movie or something. So how do you do that? How do you deal with that as a uh, CEO, a boss, a manager? How do you deal with that as a person who is actually part of a team, who is creating content, who is creating something for somebody else? You know, how do we work within the paradigm that we're in in order to get through that? You know, I was able to push back and say, I can't do this today. And they were okay with that. And they've pushed that deadline back for me. But I was positive I was going to lose that client and pretty sure I was going to lose that gig. And I was okay with that because I was understanding the, the consequences of that. And so that to me is key. As a manager or a business owner or somebody who hires, especially freelance talent, are you prepared for someone not being able to produce whatever it is you ask for them, whether it be that they just do a crappy job of it and have a bad day, or they're unable to do it. Do you have a plan B? Do you have a plan C? Right? And I would say nine times out of 10, people do not have that. People do not find ways in which they can have plan B and plan C. When I used to work at Brand New School, which was a live action motion graphics company. I keep acting like they're no longer around. They are, they're still around. Um, I always had plan B and plan C because I always knew nine times out of 10, they would need it, right? Um, and I only say that because we, at the time when we started, we had a lot of freelancers. And, you know, I started learning early on that sometimes people would not show up or would not do a good enough job or so we would have somebody else come in and be available. And we were able to do that because we could put people on hold, right? We could we could do that with the way in which our industry was set up at the time. But it's not always the same for everyone. So part of this podcast is to, first of all, talk about normalizing. It's okay not to be able to produce. Like, how can we normalize people feeling okay not being able to get something done to the best of their ability, Again, without abusing that, but if you hire your employees and you trust them, this is part of that plan, right? I trust that my employees can tell me when they're not okay, when they're not doing all right, you know, um, when they can be honest. So part of it is normalizing that, not only for our employees, but for ourselves. And then secondly, do we have a plan B? When we're in a time crunch, just in case all of the people that we have working for us, if one or two of them cannot do the work we need them to do, or if they do the work badly, we don't want to present that to the client, right? Or, or we don't want that to be the end result. Is there a plan B? So it's just something to think about for me because of the way in which 
I work, I was able to understand that I was going to lose a thousand dollars for not doing this job, that I might even lose that client. But I knew after trying several different things that I wasn't going to be able to produce for them. And I'd rather tell them sooner rather than later what was going on to give them the ability to find somebody else or to see if there's a way in which we could change and manipulate that deadline. But I understood the consequences of not having a plan B and C for myself, right? Having somebody else produce it or whatever. So understanding the consequences of something not following through helps with having that kind of plan B, plan C in place, you know? And look, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to normalize everyone being like, you know what? I'm just not in the mood today. I think one of the days I learned this lesson so valuably, I'm not going to edit that out because I can't say the word. It's part of my stuttering. But again, when I worked at Brandy School, that's when 9-11 happened. And we had just opened up. We, we had just sent employees to New York the week before that to open up our new offices in New York and 9-11 happened and nobody was prepared for that. Nobody was prepared for that at all. But we ended up still opening our doors in New York soon after that. We were able to figure out how to do that because even though we didn't have a plan B in place, we were able to kind of gather our thoughts together and figure out a way to do it anyways. But it was chaotic. It was uh, painful. It was hard, but we got it done. I think that was when I learned that it's always good to have a consequences list of what will happen if I don't get this done on time or for somebody or like what will happen to me and my company and my finances and whatever, my reputation or whatever, always understanding the consequences, right? And then also having the ability, if you do, to have a backup plan. Do you have somebody else who could fill in for Carmen? Do you have somebody else who can fill in for that person? Can the team get together and do something and not miss that Carmen isn't working with the team today? You know what I mean? So maybe today is really also about thinking through your business plan, your project plans to make sure you have uh, redundancies in place. But it's also about normalizing the idea that sometimes as individuals, we're just not going to be able to get things done. And that has to be okay. And I think once we admit, once we admit to ourselves that that's okay, interestingly enough, the creativity finds its way through. And that's what I learned about this weekend. The minute I took the pressure off of myself and gave myself a real honest way to relax and to be with whatever the pain was I was feeling and sadness I was feeling, I was able to wake up on Sunday morning and do the work I needed to do. And it wasn't late after all. It was right on time. Hey, if you're interested in starting a podcast, check out buzzsprout.com. As many of you know, I do not promote things I do not use or believe in. So the link is in my bio. If you do use them, I do get a small percentage. They are an affiliate. So check them out when you have a moment. Thanks for stopping by All About the Joy. Be better and stay beautiful, folks. Have a sweet day.